0: Week four, spiritual conversations with folks who believe differently. Our goal in this series is learning the different ways, the the myriad of ways, myriad ways that we can share the good news of the kingdom of God. And, And probably the number one thing that we've got to keep in mind with this whole phrase, and again, this is a concept that's kind of hard to understand because it's hard to see in the midst of our broken world, but the kingdom has already arrived. It has bodily arrived in the body of Jesus Christ, right? Heaven on earth incarnate. Right? We found this out in John chapter 1, right? Verses 1, 2, 3, 4, chapter, or excuse me, verse 14. God in the flesh, right? The word made flesh. Listen to this. This is at the very start of, of Jesus's ministry, Mark chapter 1. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. Right, And th- this is what they had been waiting for the whole time. They were waiting for the time to come, the-, the next age, right? The age, This age and the age to come. They're separated by the great day of the Lord. And Jesus Christ is saying, the great day of the Lord has arrived. Not fully, but it has arrived. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Again, come near. Euphorism, Jewish new- euphorism, come near. It's standing right next to him, right? <laughs> come near. It- it's here. It's here. It's not there. It's not anywhere. It's here. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. Now those are important words, right? We can't just jump over those. Repent, we looked at this a while back, metanoia, right? A complete turning of one's life, not simply a, man, I'm really sorry I got caught, right? We we play that game. But no, you get to a point where I'm really really sorry for sin. And I can't stand it in my life anymore and I'm going to change the way I live my life. And literally, somebody watching you, they'll notice like he walks differently now. Right? He was always moving in this direction, a direction of, of hatred and anger, and and but now, man, they're just they're just forgiving, they're full of grace. They're they hated their sin and they their their lives changed. That's road to repentance. Not it's not your kids, I'm sorry. Right? Tell your brother you're sorry. That's not going to cut it, right? That's not what's going on here. Tell God you're sorry, and then everything will be good, right? He waits until we really, truly are sorry, and and he forgives us. Just boom. And believe. Believe. In a nutshell, take Jesus for his word. (laughs) What he says is true. If he says to do something, do it. If he says don't do it, don't do it. Right? That's to believe. It's not simply an intellectual assertion that, yes, you are the Son of God. That does nothing for me. That does nothing for anybody. But when he becomes part of my life and he begins to be reflected in my life, that's when my life becomes very, very powerful. And his spirit becomes powerful in my my life. Repent and believe the good news. So the kingdom is here. But Christ went away. So did the kingdom come? Go back to heaven, and it's waiting to come back down again. No, because we have the Holy Spirit. Right? The kingdom has remained, and the kingdom continues to grow in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, the lives of believers. Worldwide, and I've talked about this before, worldwide, evil is losing. Even atheists are pressed to admit That what the Christian church has done over the past 2,000 years is simply amazing. Governments have not been able to do what the Christian church is doing. Again, I read about an atheist, and he's saying, look, fellow atheists, if we're going to be honest, we need to just admit, look what the church has done. Yeah, they've done a lot of stupid things, too. But look how they've changed humanity from the day of the resurrection. I mean, you could time it with a stopwatch if one existed then. And right on up to today, the world changed, radically changed when people began to let the Holy Spirit change their lives, change their attitudes toward their neighbors, toward people that aren't like them, that don't believe the same thing as them, who might not even like them. When you give a person like that love, changes the whole equation. They don't know what to do, right? The Bible says that they're, they're, sh- they're ashamed at their own behavior because you have such beautiful behavior. They're like, oh, I'm a jerk. <laughs> but you don't have to say it. They recognize it in your beauty. That's not the reason to do it, but it's a sweet little. It's... <laughs> right, so we need to keep in mind the gates of the strong man's house have fallen. We've talked about that before. But here's the bad news. The strong man is still kicking. Right? The strong man is still kicking, so it won't look or feel like heaven to a lot of people. They're going to look around and go, heaven on earth? You are a liar. Because I do not recognize, I don't see it, I don't feel it. And We talked about this before. It It's not something that's just easily grasped. It's, to a certain extent, a mystery and a secret that God wants a motivated heart because if we're not motivated, we're just kind of wasting everybody's time. And so he used those parables to really make us search our hearts. I think Christians need to be more honest about this aspect of following Jesus Christ. It's not all right rainbows and unicorns it's it's a life of sacrifice and again I heard something Father Brown anybody ever watched Father Brown I know he's not a Nazarene but I love Father Brown <laughs> I'll tell you what I look up more to Father Brown than probably any person on earth I, I do I, I just look at him and I think wow I aspire to be like Father Brown I forgot why I brought him up, Father Brown. Um, he was always so honest. He, he made a quote that just the other night, Diane and I were watching. he said, Christ doesn't want us, he wants our sacrifice, but he doesn't want us to suffer. And I thought that was brilliant, right? We get this idea that, you know, the Christian life is not beautiful. It's actually horrible. It's that horrible, horrible, horrible. No, that's not true either, right? It's not, it's not all rainbows and unicorns, and it's also not... Uh, Right? Nobody's going to want to follow Jesus if that's what followers of Jesus Christ look like. Get me away from them, sad sacks. But here's the good news, right? It is the beginning of the end of evil. The coming of Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit is the beginning of the end of evil, and that that's that's really 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 good news. Here's some. You know, we we talk about the good news. Here, let me just very very quickly. Here's some good news. We're so quick to say, "Oh, the good news." Well, what's the good news? Good news is truth, right? For for ages, men have groped in the darkness. What 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 is God? Who is God? What does He like? What does He expect? And then finally, in Jesus Christ, in our holy scriptures, we have a, a gradual revelation of who He is, and then finally, a complete at the end, a complete revelation of who He is in Jesus Christ. What do you say? If you've seen Me, you've seen the Father, right? I only do what I see and hear the Father doing and saying. Nothing original in me, folks right i do what the father says and that is the truth if you know jesus christ you know god no more groping in the darkness and that gives us a tremendous hope right tremendous hope in our world and in the ancient world there's a just a tremendous and we know this tremendous amount of pessimism right we watch the news and we're inundated with horrible news and we just think I just want to go back to bed, cover my head, and just not get up until the second coming, right? I just some, I, sometimes I just think grandkids and the world that they're inheriting, and I just oh, and I'm reminded, I'm reminded that I follow a God of hope, redefined goodness for me. Right? I don't have to be perfect. I just have a heart. I just need to have a heart bent toward Him. Jesus also gives us peace, and not just peace as, as a lack of, of, of conflict, but an internal peace, right? The, the, the problem with humanity is that we inherited two, we, we inherited a split personality, right? We want to be good, but we're really not, right? We've got this one side of our personality where just crazy, ugly things come out, and and, and yet we, we see good people and, oh, I want to be like that person, but I want this too. And we're, we're just torn, and in Jesus Christ, only in Jesus Christ do we have peace within this split personality, right? In him, we find unity in ourselves. We, we, we find acceptance in who we are in him, right? We're not perfected in him, but we are loved in him, right? And that, that's, that's what we need. And finally, there's God's promise, right? Sharing the good news of God's promises. Most people think of God as this threatening, angry, Ugh. For God, God, throughout the Bible, goes to great lengths to prove that He is a God that keeps His promises. He's a God of promises, and He's a God who keeps His promises. Right? I know a lot of people who are promises, but they don't keep them. God keeps His promises. Only Christianity tells of a God who's more ready to give than we are to ask. Right? Most religions, God is demanding. But in Christianity, not so much. And immortality, sharing the good news of immortality. Life, for many, life is the road to death. But in Jesus, we have life now, and we have life eternally. And finally, we have salvation. That's really, really good news. This is fantastic news. And more importantly, this is, this is huge. Not simply liberation from penalty and escape from sin. Sin. Right? That's not the salvation. That's not the complete picture of salvation. Salvation is, number one, escape from the consequences of sin. But number two is the flip side of that coin is victorious living. Right? We are a holiness denomination. We believe with all our hearts and minds that the Holy Spirit is transforming us. Our hearts are being transformed and purified to the point where we really can regularly love our neighbors even when they don't love us. It is, po- it is possible. It truly is possible. But that's the salvation we're talking about, and that is good news. That is fantastic news. So, how does one go in about? How does one go about sharing all of this good news? Well, we looked at three spiritual practices so far: spiritual practices, biblical practices that are really what I'm trying to drive at in this series are really part and parcel of what it means to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That the, the, the kingdom of God has has arrived. So we've been noticing, we've been praying, we've been listening. And we're going to look at a fourth one today. The power of the ask. Right? Just the asking questions. Right? Think of a person that you know in your life, and, and I can guarantee you it's a person that you like hanging out. And here's the reason why you like hanging out with them is they ask good questions. Right? At the end of an hour or two, you recognize that you've been talking a lot and you have enjoyed it. Right? You enjoyed telling all of your stories and you didn't even recognize it because they were so slick. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Diane and I, we got a really good friend from Fairfield, Brad Stanhope. He's a reporter Um, he's just got those skills. I I don't know if he got them as a reporter or because he had those skills, he became a reporter. But he genuinely, when you're with Brad, there's nothing else going on in the world but you. You are immediately, immediately, you recognize that you are the center of Brad's world for the time that he's sitting in front of you. There's nothing that's going to take his attention away from you. We love hanging out with Brad and his wife. We we just did. It was just the most. And again, we would get home and we would say... little horse right <clears throat> like man, we have been talking all night long brad and carrie didn't say a word and again it was so enjoyable but we're like looking at ourselves going we need to stop talking so much right we need to be like the stan hopes right and again you've met people how does that make you feel right they make you want to know more about them right did you feel more comfortable sharing with them Think about the opposite now. You ever been in a situation where somebody asked you questions, but they're immediately shaking your hand and looking past you? Right. This is this is something we got to watch out for in the lobby as pastors. Right. We have a nasty tendency of doing this, shaking somebody's hand and looking for the next person. Right. I, I know. I, I I catch myself it's like, oh, oh, bad, 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 bad. Have you ever been in that situation where they just talked? They asked you a question, and that was the end of your part of the discussion, because then they answered their question for you and continued to talk and tell you stories for the next hour or so. Now that is the first category is my wife. Right, if you ever hang out with my wife, I love taking her when I gotta go visiting because I'm I'm not a good small talker. I I'm just not. It's like, Diane, please, please, please go with me because it's just a joy. The, the visit is a joy because she's, she's just, she can zero in on people like nobody's business. And I, and I struggle with that. I just, I'll admit it. I, I struggle with it. Um, this is more me, the one that talks too much. Again, I have family of storytellers. Now, here's what's really cool that's happening in my life right now. A while back, ten or, uh, thir- yeah, 30, 40 years ago, I was playing way, way too much volleyball and God was calling me into youth ministry. I was about 30, 35, something like that. And I, I said a prayer. I said, you, Lord, if this is going to happen, because I was playing like five nights a week. If this is going to happen, Lord, you got to take away volleyball. You, you got, don't, don't be mean about it. But, well, you know what happened? Immediately I, I got injured. A whole string of injuries just a, whole, just a whole string of them. Literally, I stopped playing volleyball, and I threw myself into youth ministry. And I could, afford, I could afford the time, right? God answered that prayer in a crazy, 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 crazy kind of way. Well, now God's answering another prayer in my life. I talk too much, right? School teachers and pastors, we talk too much. That's our job, right? That's what we do. But sometimes we need to just shut up. And so God has been answering my prayer um, I am recognizing that when I'm in a group of people and they're telling their stories and I'm thinking of my stories, lo and behold, by the time they stop talking, I forgot my story. <laughs> so I think God's using my memory to, and I'm finding myself, I'm listening, and I'm listening because the story, I was, oh, I'm gonna tell this story. I'll, by the time they're done, I forgot. <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to think, what story is I going to tell? Well, Jerry, this is God telling you to shut up. Just listen. And I am. I'm getting better. Maybe maybe one of these days you guys are going to recognize that too. Um, but I am changing. I'm, I'm truly, truly changing. Today, we're going to discover the raw power of asking questions, right? And that's what we're going to see in Scripture. One simple question, right, turns everything. Just, just turns everything on its ear. One simple question. Question: The power to change everything. Um, Jesus was the master of the question, right? I didn't recognize this till I was digging into this this week, and I I read a quote, a fact. I didn't check the fact. That would have taken a really long part of my week, but apparently Jesus asked in the Gospels, the four Gospels, three hundred and seven questions. Right that's not a normal teacher. I know I was a school teacher and the principals would come in and they would evaluate us and the evaluation usually had something to do with how often I was talking and how often the students were talking. Right and they would they would they had a timer when I'm talking and asking questions and then when a student is talking and asking questions and then they would evaluate my teaching skills based on and they would tell me Mr. Carter the facts are the more you talk the less they learn. (laughs) That doesn't make a lick of sense but it's true the less you talk, the more the more they talk about what you talked about. That's when the learning occurs. They've got to deal. With, they've got to wrestle with it. They've got to ask questions of it. They've got to knock it around a little bit, kick the tires just a little bit, in order to discover for themselves. I can talk to them until I'm blue in the face, right? They're not going to hear it. They've got to process it themselves, right? And psychology, all, all the different sciences tell this all over the place. What do they tell us? Simply writing something down on a piece of paper extends our memory just a little bit we're engaging in the thoughts and questions force us to engage in the issues and thoughts and behaviors of a Christian (laughs) now here's the killer part not a single time did Jesus ask a question because he needed information he always knew the answer I remember a guy an interviewer told me he said "Uh, I was an assistant manager and I was doing hiring for a restaurant and he and it, it was a pastor friend of mine and he said Jerry ask questions that you already know the answer to. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense. He says, yeah, those are the questions that that person, you're going to find out more about that person, the way they answer that question, right, because you already know the answer. You're going to see them fudge one way or the other. You're going to see them do a lot of crazy or really beautiful, honest things with this information that you've got. And it sounds so tricky and and slimy, but it was a pretty cool tactic. (laughs) In other words, the question was never intended to benefit Jesus. It was always intended to benefit the one who would answer. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is the master of the question, right? And it's only because he witnessed the Father doing so, right? Because he only does what he he sees the Father doing. He only talks about what he hears the Father talking about. And this is true from the very, very beginning. Let's watch this. This is God. This is God asking questions. The very, very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to jump right in verse 8. says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, God. He said, Well, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman... You, what a bum. The man, you put her here with me. She gave me some of the fruit in the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent. Right? This is just humanity, right? Just passing it on down, pass it on, passing the blame, passing the buck. It's the serpent's fault. They deceived me, and, and I ate it. Now, here's the kicker. God knows all things, yet he asks a whole bunch of questions of Adam and Eve. Right? He kind of grills them. Four questions, where are you, right? Who told you these silly things? Have you listened to these silly things? And kind of the overall question, what have you done? Why does he do this? In the experience of many people, when somebody, when you have betrayed somebody, when you've greatly upset them, more often than not, you're not going to hear from them. They will turn their back, and you just heard the last from them. Right? Cold shoulder, a you know, hundred different ways that we can do this. In this line of questions, God's saying, no, we're not done yet, <laughs> Adam and Eve. We are so not done yet. And in this series of questions, he's telling them, look, I still care. I still want to talk. I could have kicked you out, man. Boom. I, I, I don't even want to see your face. Right. You ever done that? I did not want to look at you. I did not want to talk to you. God's like, no, I do. Please. I want to keep talking with you. Please, 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 please. Let's keep. I know you blew it. You screwed up big time, but let's keep talking because when we stop, that's when bad things start to happen. We need to keep our communication lines open. This is what God is doing. Don't quit on me because I'm not going to quit on you. That's that line of questioning. Now, like I said before, Jesus asked a lot of questions. And I think we can learn a lot about sharing the good news of the kingdom from the multiple ways he used conversations. This is, very, very kind of this is going to be a review. Normally I like to major on a, on a passage, but I'm going to be flying through a little bit here. So if you've got Bibles, your fingers have got to be really quick in this area. So here we go. I'm going to start with chapter 4 from John. Jesus often asked questions. He used them, number one, to start conversations, just to start conversations, right? You know the Samaritan woman. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Innocent question, but a very pointed question for Jesus knew what he wanted to have a conversation about. And he knew just how to start the conversation. A woman is drawing water at a well. (laughs) Doesn't take a whole lot of brains to come up with a good question. Hey, can I have a drink? Boom, we got a conversation going Verse 9, the woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. And Jesus knew where this was going to go. He knew he was breaking social norms. He, had the, he, he set up the conversation. He wanted to have a conversation with her. He set it up beautifully. How can I ask you for a drink, right? For Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Right? Already there's a conversation going on. And it was just one simple question. Hey, can I get a drink of water? Or chapter 10 from Mark, blind Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. He flagged him down, right? Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. right? Jesus asked him to verbalize what was on his mind. We've been talking a little bit about that. He committed. He was committed to the man's best interests. I don't know if you noticed this, but a few verses back, this is the exact same question that John asked that Jesus asked James and John when they wanted to ask Jesus a question, right? They wanted to, they cornered him, and we want to be the two top lieutenants in your organization, right? Through a series of questions. And he asked them the same question. What what, what do you want me to do for you? Master questioner. He also asked questions to help people think through important issues. Right, how do you, I mean, how often do we need someone to Really simply ask us loving questions, right? We can put something in front of our faces and we, we simply won't see it, right? But if a loving person, a person that we, we know and trust, gently asks the right questions, opens the door to what we didn't want to see and we didn't, we didn't want to deal with. Listen to this. This is from the book of Matthew. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, we tend to read right through this and assume that in this narrative the conversation just continued on, but my guess is there's just a whole bunch of pregnant pauses, right? By pregnant pauses, I mean, I mean it was just like everyone's holding their breath. Who's going to say something stupid now? And I, I just get the impression that it's just silence as he asks these incredibly penetrating questions like nobody wants to give an obvious answer that turns out to be the wrong answer. Like, is he tricking us? Don't say anything yet. Let 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 somebody else open their mouth and prove to be the fool, right? Don't don't. So I, I'm guessing in these exchanges, there's just a lot of silence. Or this from chapter 18. Well, what do you think? That's a great way to start a conversation. We got a disagreement. Well, what do you think? How do you think we should handle this? So Jesus is doing. Well, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? The fact of the matter is that most of Jesus' parables were really questions, right? They were set up for the listener to question their own life. Am I like that character or am I like that character? He didn't actually have to ask the question, but the parable sets it up. Who am I? Like in the story, it's just—it's a setup. It's a beautiful, beautiful setup. And he was particularly good at using questions to get people to evaluate their behavior, right? This is this is the big one, right? And then naturally, these were some of the more harsh questions because under more often than not, not always, he was asking this of the the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the ones that should have the right answers. He was, he was just grilling him. Listen to this. This is Matthew chapter 7. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Now, that, that's a harsh question, right? Some people are just going to get angry right off the bat, but it's still a question. It's kind of a safe kind of thing. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? <laughs> and then from Matt, or Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? Right, that's the kicker. It's like, oh, well, uh, well uh, yeah, all right. but not all of them were harsh. Not not all of his questions were harsh. This is Luke chapter 12. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Th- this is just every every everyday person, right? We all worry. He's not he's not driving this question at anybody. In particular, this is is all of it. This is every man, every woman. Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? It's just an incredibly gentle kind of question. And then back to the religious leaders. Hypocrites! This is chapter 12. Hypocrites! You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky and the earth. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? why don't you judge for yourselves what is right so you know sometimes he was nice but but some of them right they were deliberately not hearing his questions so he would get kind of hard kind of harsh with them and finally most importantly jesus used questions to encourage people to think through what they believed right this these, these were the big questions that we remember from scripture right Jesus was introducing a new ethic, a brand new way of thinking about good and bad, clean and unclean, all the categories that the Jewish people had. Jesus was someone, he wasn't, he wasn't doing away with them, but he was giving them new, new meaning. He, he was reinterpreting them. And so he recognized, he couldn't just come in and go, here's what I say, here's what you need to do, right? That would never have flown. It would have just gone, wall, right? Just a wall. So Jesus knew he had to be very, very, very gentle, right? Kind of start. Start where they were. Start where they were. This is from Mark's gospel, and this is something that he would normally do. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Well, basically, what do you think? The way he asked it, well, what did Moses say? What what does the the law of Moses say about this? What What did Moses command you? This line of reasoning, really this line of questioning, can be seen every single time Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say it's, it's kind of a thinly veiled set of questions, kind of rhetorical kind of questions, right? He's not waiting for their answers, but he's asking a question and he's giving them kind of their answer, right? Is this the way we're going to do it? Well, your, your Moses said this, right, kind of starting out where, where, where they are. Again, he couldn't start out with this is, this is what I say. Now, as a school teacher, I recognize this. One of the things that I love to do when there was a historical question is that I would always make them give me an answer before I gave them the right answer. What I found out, and this wasn't my discovery. I read this in some teacher book, is whenever I did that and they... When I asked them a question that they didn't know the answer to and they knew that I had the answer and that I was about to give it, by asking them, they were risking themselves. They were putting an answer out there. They were putting their thoughts out there. And for me, that had to happen because now the magic could happen. Now they had a vested interest. They've given their opinion. They know I've got my opinion and my opinion is right. And so now they're wondering, now they're on, they're on pins and needles, was my answer right or was Johnny over there right? Right? Because now, now everyone's waiting, who's right? Right, and and it it just worked. It works all the time. You get people to to kind of say what they think, and then you got something to work with, right? You can you can move on from there. And this is just exactly what Jesus is doing here. Common ground first, and then a couple of the most famous questions Jesus ever asked, or will ever ask. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, says this: When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then a couple verses on, he asked them, but what about you? Who do you say I am? And again, they'd been probably thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. But until somebody forced them to verbalize it, they probably hadn't actually concluded anything. I don't know if you recognize that in your own thinking process. Until you actually say it, then you recognize, oh, well, that wasn't pretty. <laughs> In my head, it was pretty, but then when I said it, Ugh. right. But when, when, we, when we verbalize something, it, just, it almost takes on a, a life of its, of its own. And on this day, for the very first time, a public declaration is made by Peter. A declaration that solidified once and for all Peter's understanding of who Jesus was. To which Jesus could have replied, and he probably wanted to reply, thank you, yes. Been waiting 32 years for this. You finally got it. In the back of his mind, you don't really got it, but you're close, and I'm really, really happy, right? You got it. And it seems to me it wouldn't have been so much easier if Jesus would have just told his disciples, by the way, you know that Messiah you've been waiting for? He's here. And it would have been stunned silence. It was like, okay, we're going to lunch now. You're nuts. But that's not the way Jesus did it. He brought it out gently, gently. He knew that his disciples would each die a brutal death because of belief in him. They had to own this, right? This isn't something that someone could tell you You had to own it. Jesus knew that. He knows this. We have to own it. And even the people that we share Christ with, they've got to own it too. We can't throw it at them and hope it sticks. Again, this all made the following set of questions even more important important for them important for us important for those who we want to share the message of Christ with this is in John chapter 21 we read it earlier when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these yes Lord he said you know that I love you Jesus said feed my lambs Right, we recognize that Peter had earlier betrayed Jesus three times. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. You understand what's going on here? Same thing that was going on in the garden, Right? Peter knew, Adam and Eve knew that they had messed up and that God had every right to turn their backs on them. God didn't turn their back on Adam and Eve. Christ doesn't turn his back on Peter. Peter, I know what you did. And if you still love me and believe in me, I still love you and believe in you. I don't care what you've done. We're good. We're good. Say it, say it, say it again say it again say it again verbalize it peter i love you and i trust you feed my sheep i'm entrusting my mission to you you messed up you're probably going to mess up again i'm seeing the church they're going to be a basket case but evil is going to lose evil is going to lose and it all starts with the followers of Jesus Christ digging into the lives of people who don't know that yet. And the way in is to ask questions, right? We, we've seen it from the Master. Ask gently, ask questions. Don't. That's my job. all so bow your heads, Father. Thank you so much for your Son. And that when we see him and read about what he said and hear his words, we see you. Father, above everything else in your son, we see you. So, Father, in the lives of our friends that we share lives with, Father, help us share Jesus through conversations, through listening, through praying, through noticing, through all the different things we're going to be looking at in this series. Father, help us to share Jesus the beauty of God's kingdom. But be honest and recognize that even in the midst of God's kingdom, this world still has a hold on things. But we're winning. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful news. In your son's name I pray.